Very nice. Appreciate that, team. We are going to talk today about the empowered church of the New Testament. If you're not there yet, please turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 2, we're looking at the first 13 verses. Acts. Don't refer to your bulletin to Colossian Acts. <laughs> Did anybody notice that? <laughs> Sorry, Lori. We are actually in the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Filled with new wine. You know, the book of Acts covers a time period that was unique and that it was marked by God introducing the church and its transition. It was unique because the New Testament was being written and God's people needed special signs. People needed special gifts in order to tide them over until the word of God had been fully given. As our text reveals, the true and real influence of a church does not depend on how large it is. It does not depend on its members, especially their status, politically or socially. It does not matter or depend on how big or nice the building is or the size of its bank accounts. No, the true and real influence of a church depends solely on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Today, today I want to share God's Word and with you and allow it to help both of us, help both of us to understand the meaning of Pentecost and how the winds of God, that is the Holy Spirit, affected the church. Now, this is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, meaning this is the era of the Holy Spirit, the church age. Please note, though, uh, well, let me go back. From the day of Pentecost till Christ returns is the church age. This is the era of the Holy Spirit. But I need you to know something. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit 
did not exist or was not working in the world prior to that time. He was. Of course he was. He is God. But at this particular time, Pentecost, he began to be with us as he is now. So can we personally and corporately experience the meaning of Pentecost? There's our first question for the day. The second is, can everyday ordinary people and an everyday ordinary church do extraordinary things? There's our second question. And the third, which kind of sums up both of those, are we an empowered church? Are we an empowered church? I would like to give some background first to this text so we can truly understand where we're coming from and where we're going with this. After the death and resurrection of Jesus... Uh, After presenting himself to so many eyewitnesses, after giving his commands to his disciples whom he had chosen at this presentation of Jesus, right, in his appearing after the resurrection, he was there presenting himself for 40 days, 40 days. He was then lifted up. He was ascended or ascended into heaven. But he said something profound to these apostles before leaving. In Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, Jesus, my friends, Jesus was killed during the Passover. All right? And this, of course, uh, This Passover, it was a shadow of something greater, and that, of course, is Jesus' sacrifice, his blood. But the Passover commemorated the coming of the angel of death, that last plague to Egypt before the people were freed, that last plague. On that night, the Israelites were told to sacrifice a lamb and spread over the doorpost its blood, Okay, This particular Passover, uh, when the angel saw the blood, it would literally pass over that house, but it inflicted greatly Egypt, the firstborn sons in Egypt. So if there was blood on that doorpost, the angel would pass over. That's the festival that they're celebrating. And this is when Jesus was killed. And I'd like to say that I think that that might be considered the last Passover, because it was Jesus' death, right? It was his ultimate sacrifice. He was crucified. While these others, as it passed over, were inflicted, and the firstborn were destroyed, and Egypt began to fall apart so that the Israel or the nation of Israel could be freed, which was God's plan. It was Jesus at this time's ultimate sacrifice. He was the spotless Lamb of God, right? That was killed and sacrificed for God's people. So I see that being the last Passover at Jesus' death. Now, Pentecost came 50 days after the Passover. They are connected. It came 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost was also called the Festival of Weeks or the Feast of Weeks. It celebrated God's provision for His people. And again, I want to Reiterate, Pentecost was inseparable from Passover. Again, it was a festival in which God's people were to bring their first fruits as an offering to him. The first fruits. 
these first fruits stood both for the coming harvest as well as a sign of thanksgiving for God's provision. However, this festival was not simply about agriculture. It was about redemption as well. Let me explain. See, after the exodus from Egypt, where God saved and redeemed his people from slavery, they entered a place called Mount Sinai. Now, entering Mount Sinai, this would be around 50 days after the exodus. And what happened there? God gave Moses the law. God gave Moses the law. And in this, God instructed his people to celebrate this festival or this Feast of Weeks, and we find this in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, God commanding to celebrate this festival. So, Jewish law required all Jewish people, especially the Jewish men, to come to Jerusalem to celebrate and be in attendance for this Feast of Weeks. This is what we have come to know as Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, that 50 days after the Passover. Again, like the final Passover, I think this could be considered the final Pentecost because Pentecost is fulfilled by the Spirit arriving to the church, bringing in the new life, the new testament, the new covenant. And that's where we're finding ourselves That's where we find ourselves. So in the context of chapter 2, we have apostles, 120 of them, assembled in an upper room. In the context of chapter 2, we have Jewish men from every nation under heaven there to celebrate the Festival of Weeks because it was a command. It was part of the law. We have that. And then, of course, we have this very special day called Pentecost. These are the things that are happening on this day. Now, I have to talk about this assembly. This assembly. In chapter 2, our very first word, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, the very first verse, excuse me, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay, so Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, and he ascended. And in the upper room, the same room that they had had, there were 120 of them. Yes, we do understand that there were 12 disciples. One is betrayed, now there are 11. But folks, there was a great following of 120, okay? And they're all in the upper room. And what's interesting is what this assembly is doing. For me, this is the beginning of the church. It's not the church yet because there's a missing ingredient, but it's the beginning. What are these people doing? Well, they were assembled in prayer, Acts 1.14, Acts 1.14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were assembled in prayer. What's next? They were assembled in unity. Look at Acts 2.1 again. What did it say? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. You know what Psalms 133.1 says? Psalm 133.1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. They were assembled in prayer. They were assembled in unity. They were also assembled in obedience. Luke 24.49, 
And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. They are literally living this verse out in obedience to the text that we are studying today. What we read here in Luke is what's happening right now. They are waiting for that power. 1 Samuel 15.22 says this, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. They were there assembled in obedience. And they were assembled in worship. After Jesus ascended, here's what's happened in Luke 24, 52. Luke 24, 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. See, they were returning in obedience to Jerusalem to wait for this power that was to come upon them from the Father. And they were doing so as they traveled in worship. And for the next 10 days, they'd be in worship. And then, of course, in Luke 24, 53, they were assembled in praise. They were continually in the temple blessing God. This group was together in prayer. This group was together in unity, in obedience, in worship, and in praise. So we can see the start to the body of Christ. We can see the beginning of the church, but it is not fully complete. Let's talk about what they had received. They had received the experience and the saving power of the crucifixion and the resurrection. They did. They had received the Great Commission. Yes, they have. They had received authority to administer the sacraments such as baptism. Uh, they were also able to replace Judas, Judas who betrayed Jesus. They replaced him with another to take his place. This was under divine guidance. And as we see here, they were devoted and assembled in prayer. So while this body of believers contemplates what they have received so far, this assembly is not ready to set forth on its mission to evangelize. Remember, let me go back to Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, as I read it, it said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All these components... All these components that the assembled believers were involved in, they sound good, don't they? Uh, correction, they sound great. To me, it sounds very churchy when we use words like that. But they were not ready. Not yet. This group, this assembly, was waiting on its true power to become the body of Christ, to become what Jesus intended it to be, and that, my friends, is the church. They were waiting on this power, and it says, the Bible, and like a mighty rushing wind, here comes the promised Holy Spirit. This is the power that they were told to wait for, that we read in Luke. Wait for it. They are. Folks, it had been 10 days. It had been 10 days since the ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost, because he was there for 40, and Pentecost is 50, right? It had been 10 days, and on the 10th day, we hear this power coming in, rushing in. Now, let's talk about power. Power can be used in at least two ways. It can be unleashed, or it can be harnessed. 
So the energy in a, let's say 10 gallons of gasoline, the energy in 10 gallons of gasoline, for instance, can be released explosively if somehow we drop a lighted match or light that can on fire. We will have an explosion. Or that gasoline can be channeled through a car engine in what we call a controlled burn, used to transport a person several miles, depending on the price of gas, right? But it can transport a person several miles when it is harnessed. Explosions are spectacular. We love them, I know. But controlled burns have lasting effect. They have what we call staying power. See, the Holy Spirit works in both ways. At Pentecost, he exploded on the scene. He exploded. His presence was like tongues of fire, it says in verse 3. Thousands were affected by one burst of God's power. But he also works through the church, the institution that God began, and God uses the Holy Spirit's power, his power for the long haul through worship, through fellowship, through service, Christians are provided with staying power. See, this is a spiritual checkup for us personally and corporately. Ooh, yes, we're in this together. Personally and corporately, and I have to ask, do we and are we assembled in prayer, assembled in unity, assembled in obedience, worship and praise, all under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. Because if we are failing in any one of these key elements, any one of them, then all will suffer. Please let me explain. If we wanted to come together to worship, praise, right? If we wanted to come together and worship and praise, and pray, what if we had a problem with disunity? What if our church was divided over something, whether small or large? We had disunity. And you guys know churches all over this world suffer disunity. If we are not unified in purpose and in one spirit, then how are we praying and worshiping and praising our God? We are not. What if we came to church and a section of the church was living in disobedience and then we tried to unify? We can't. We can't unify with disobedience. We're called to be obedient. So all of these areas would suffer. This is why it is imperative for us to have the Holy Spirit guiding us, influencing us, and be our ultimate power in each of these. This is where today's church is starting to deviate. They are losing the message of the Holy Spirit. And it terrifies me to see where some churches are going because I want to tell you right now from the things that I've seen in that church and the messages I've heard, they are not relevant to Scripture. They do not embrace the God that you and I know. And it scares me to think of even kids out there whose parents are taking them to these churches that are not under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about this advent of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 2 through 4 in your Bible, Acts 2, 2, and 4. Here comes the advent. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. Folks, all four Gospels record John the Baptist speaking to the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I chose one. I chose Luke 3.16. John answered them, all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And what's the purpose? What's the purpose of this baptism? Well, that's found in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink one spirit. Folks, this one body is the church. The work of God began the formation of Christ's invisible body, the church. That's what we're having happening here. But let me talk about these little terms. People can get confused. The Holy Spirit's work is enormous. It is great. But let me talk about baptized. Baptized in the Spirit means you and I, we are placed into the body of Christ. You and I here today, we are in the body of Christ. We've been baptized into that. We are indwelt. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That means God's permanent residence is in the body of a believer. That's what happened to Pentecost, that he would indwell believers from here on out. But there's another one, and we have it in Scripture, filled. Now, filled, this is the power to live the Christian life, to be controlled by the Spirit. Remember the Bible says, don't be controlled by wine, but be controlled by the Spirit. Think about it. We can take things that alter our state of mind that alter our body, where we're controlled by other substances. And he's saying, no, be filled with the Spirit. Let that Spirit control you as if you were controlled by a foreign substance. We are to be, like the Bible said, this audience thought they were filled with new wine, right? At the end, because of the languages, they must be filled with new wine. No, they were filled with the Spirit. There's no room for wine. And guess what? The filling can happen over and over and over. You're not filled with the Spirit just once. This can happen multiple times. But herein lies my problem, and I'm going to share it with you as a pastor. I want to share with you (laughs) what I went through this week, all right? Stay with me. John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus, the very day of his resurrection. That evening, he had entered that upper room, and he breathed on them, And you got to go back to Genesis, remember? God breathed life into Adam. He breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit. Well, that's powerful to me. But then we have Luke 24, 49 again. Luke 24, 49 says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Folks, this is the same day. This is the same resurrection day. So my question is, Is this the same event? If it's the same event, it, it, it has to be. It's the same day. Is it the same event? Or did John's version, was it shortened and Luke's a little bit longer? Can these two texts be harmonized? So I started to explore and do the research, and it was 50-50. Guys, it was, it was dead even. you got theologians and scholars saying, yep, it was this one, and yep, it was that. Really and truly, it's the same day. 
See, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, yet he tells them to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So here's my thing. Did they already receive the Spirit? And then later at Pentecost were filled with the Spirit for a specific task? Maybe. Were they both regenerated and filled at the same time at Pentecost? Maybe. Was Jesus breathing on them and saying, receive the Spirit, symbolic? Was it prophetic because they were going to receive it? I don't know. Jesus said something, though. Jesus confirmed what John the Baptist stated. In Acts 1.5, he says this, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. This is right before the ascension. This is the 40 days. This is not the first day of the resurrection. Now we're talking the 40 days before he goes to heaven. Not many days from now. See, Jesus is speaking of the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to them not many days from now, which would be Pentecost. So was this just the baptism into the body? Was this just the start of the church? Or was it more? Hold on, I wrote a good note here. Let me see what I wrote. I already said it. Are we talking about the day of when he introduces himself just walking into that room through walls, basically, disciples, here I am, or are we talking the 40th day before his ascension? See, I want to tell you this. Peter reports back to the church later on. He reports back an amazing story of a visit with a man named Cornelius and his family. They were Gentiles. I'll read it to you. In Acts 11, 15 through 17, he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in the way? And there's my problem. Harold, you're my brother. I lost my mind this week. Madness, confusion. Madness and confusion. I said, I've got to figure this out. <laughs> And I was telling my wife every day, I was mentally exhausted, just mush. I had to figure out when the Holy Spirit was received by these people, and I was stuck. I was stuck in rabbit trails. Folks, when it, you can ask any pastor, rabbit trails. You start taking them. Well, what does this mean? Well, what is this? Well, what is that? And I was lost because I realized, oh my goodness, I'm asking a question that's unanswerable. Can I tell you when you were saved at the exact time or when you received the Holy Spirit? No, I cannot. Why? Because I'm not God. The Holy Spirit knows that's between you and the Holy Spirit. I could not figure this out. And then it dawned on me, man, this is, Mark, come on. This is not about the 120 in the upper room. It's not about if they received the Spirit of the day of resurrection or 40 days later or on the 50th at Pentecost. It's not about the 120 in the upper room. This is about the promised Holy Spirit arriving and empowering this assembly to be a witness right here in Jerusalem, and this is where he would start. So here I am, all concerned about what is happening to this assembly in the upper room when God's concern was all about those outside this upper room. You see where I got lost? I wanted to figure out what happened here. No, you don't need to know what happened here. You need to look what happened here. 
God taught me a great lesson. Acts 2, 6 through 8. Acts 2, 6 through 8. At this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? What, guys, what sound? What sound did they hear? Was it the wind only that brought them? Was it the languages that they heard that brought them? Was it both? Again, it's an unanswerable question. I cannot stand behind the pulpit and tell you it was this or that. It could have been both. I cannot tell you exactly when the Holy Spirit regenerated, rebirthed the disciples. I can't tell you when they were baptized into one spirit. I can't tell you when they were exactly indwelt, but I can tell you that they were. Praise God. So, here we are with this massive sound. It's unanswerable. But one thing I want to tell you is that we can identify here what's happening, and it's in verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues. That's their own languages. This is not, this is not a, a spiritual language where you need an interpreter. This is foreign languages, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. That is what's happening. Now, if it was a rushing wind sound that brought them out, great. Then they were bewildered by what they were hearing. If it was 120 people speaking foreign languages in their native tongue, that could have been easily at it, but it's God's work. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. This was near the temple grounds. This upper room had to be near the temple grounds because they came out, and we're gonna find out just how, what this multitude was comprised of. It was huge. They had to come out of the upper room. I think 120 people speaking different foreign languages, it'd probably be pretty impressive. I think people would have been drawn to that. In fact, let me talk to you about the Tower of Babel. Some of you say Tower of Babel. I know you can pronounce it either way. I say Tower of Babel. This is in Genesis 11. God instructed the people to increase in number and fill the earth. That was his command. Increase in number and fill the earth. But the people chose instead to build a city with a tower that would reach to the heavens. See, they wanted to make a name for themselves and not be dispersed over the face of the earth. Really, this was a pride of, uh, a sin of disobedience, if you want to label it. Or excuse me, pride. Their disobedience was a sign that it was pride. But God stepped in. God came down, and you know what he did? He confused their languages and forced, he enforced his command for them to fill the earth. If you're just like Jonah and that great fish, if you're not going to want to do what I say, I'll have the fish take you, bring you back. We'll start over. Here again, you're not going to do what I say. I'm going to come down. I'm going to confuse your languages. You'll disperse. Do the, do the confusion, right? You'll bond with those who are speaking the same language and y'all will go to different areas. You'll fill the earth because I commanded it. That's what happened at the Tower of Babel. Now, contrasting this event with Pentecost, and this is what gets me pumped up, contrasting this event with Pentecost, we find the Spirit of the Lord coming down to proclaim the gospel of salvation in Jesus by making this gospel understandable in all languages. Listen, God's disbursement, we have that in the Tower of Babel. And here we have God's provision here at Pentecost. His provision, which is why they celebrated the Festival of Weeks in the first place, his provision was to share the gospel in all these languages. He covered everything. 
I enforce you to disperse, but I got you. I'll provide. And here he is providing the gospel in every language. In our text, we need to look at the mighty rushing wind. We need to look at the tongues of fire. We need to look at the people speaking in other tongues as God's work in reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the earth. This speaking in other languages was evidence to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So this is the meaning of Pentecost, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the formation of the church. The Holy Spirit came down to permanently, from this point on to today until Christ returns, to indwell believers, and here is where the church began. Further down, it says, Peter gave a sermon. Peter gave a sermon to all who came out. Verse 12 tells us there are some that were amazed. There's some that were perplexed. And of course, you have your mockers, always your mockers. But in Acts 2.41, I want you to read Acts 2.41 with me. I think we'll put it up here. Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay. Whoa. Let me think about this. 3,000. Okay, so in the upper room, we have all the ingredients of a fine little church without the power yet. The power comes upon them, and through that power, they attract the multitude by speaking in their native tongues because they're all, all these native tongues from all, oh, and this is spread out far, guys. There's no way Galileans from this area could have known all these languages, but here they are speaking ancient dialects. People are hearing this going, aren't these just Galileans? Well, how do they know my language? And what is this mighty works of God I'm hearing about? They were attracted. The church began right then as Peter preached he preached a wonderful sermon, and there were many, even though they were perplexed, amazed, and mockers, 3,000 believed and joined those apostles on the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church, where they were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Everybody read with me. Everybody look at Acts 2. We're going to read together in Scripture. Everybody look at Acts 2. We're going to go to verse 42. Let's talk about this 3,000. Acts 2, 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, Grace Fellowship is continuing this day by day. We are a result. We are a result of what's happening here. This is the building of the church. Those 3,000 souls that were saved that day, it shows us it explicitly shows us what they were. It was the beginning of the church. 
and all those wonderful things we just read, don't we practice those things as well? Aren't we exercising those things as well? We can know what Pentecost means, and we do. We know what Pentecost means. We know that ordinary people in an ordinary church can do extraordinary things when under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit because we just witnessed it here in Jerusalem. We see that, just 120 people in an upper room. See, it's all about the Spirit's work within us that is evidence of these works. But here's my question are we an empowered church? Is Grace Fellowship an empowered church? See, every ordinary church must begin with the power of God to do extraordinary things. You can't get around that. If we are to make an impression on this world in which we live, that has to be the case. We have been baptized into the body. Yes, we have. We are indwelt with the Spirit, each believer. Yes, we are. But are we praying to be filled? See, not all believers, are you ready for this? Step on some toes. Not all believers live filled or controlled lives by the Spirit. They do not live filled or controlled lives by the Spirit's power. This filling comes with submission, folks, when we submit to Him. And I'll tell you, you're either going to submit to Him or you're going to be submitting to something else. But whatever that thing is, that's what will control you. And we want the Holy Spirit. I have to share this short story with you. Tara and Tom, great friends of mine. I lived in Alexandria, Minnesota for a very short time. I was part of a band up there getting it going. Had to get out. Too cold. Love Minnesota, though. And I developed some very, very strong relationship with friends to this day. But I went over to their house all the time to eat because I was single. I couldn't cook. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was sick of Subway. So here I am at their house. And we're cooking. Tara made Tommy and I join in to cook. And I don't know the name of this salad, but it was delicious. Let me tell you, it's something salad. Maybe it's regional. But it's where you melt marshmallows in this huge pot. And the ingredients are like chopped up mandarin oranges or certain berries. And also chopped up Snickers, Snicker bars and Three Musketeers. It's a salad. All right? This is my favorite salad. So we're eating, we're, or excuse me, we're making this meal. Tara is cooking everything else. She puts Tommy and I, which I think it's kind of a slam, but she puts Tommy and I on the marshmallow melting part. Okay. So Tommy and I chop everything up. We have all the ingredients ready for this pot. And so we're over there with our two spoons. Yes, two grown men standing around one pot of marshmallows, just talking. And all we're doing is just, it's like ping pong, hitting marshmallows back and forth. I think about eight minutes went by, if I recall correctly. Tara comes over with her arms crossed. One of these things, and does this. See, we didn't realize something. We were just hitting marshmallows. We never turned the burner on. We weren't melting anything. We weren't melting anything at all. We were just two grown men. And I realized, my goodness, we had all the ingredients ready. We had everything prepared for this dish, but we didn't have any fire. We didn't have any power to finish it and see it through. And that dawned on me, that story. It dawned on me because it made me think exactly what's going on. So back to the assembly. They were prepared. I had the ingredients. They had the ingredients. They were waiting in obedience what Jesus commanded. In obedience and in unity, they devoted themselves to prayer, worship, and praise. All the ingredients were there. They just lacked what? Same thing we did. They lacked the power. 
And that is what God sent the day of Pentecost. In a mighty rushing wind and divided tongues of fire, he sent the promised Holy Spirit. So this witness started in Jerusalem, moving into all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, even here in Reedsville. It's a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So Christian family, the Holy Spirit lives inside us. And like Jesus told the disciples, he said this, and I'm saying it to you, you will be my witness. He said that you will be my witness in these places. He's saying that to you and I today. You will be my witness. So what do we need to do? We need to pray for the Spirit to take control, to be filled by that Spirit so that you and I can live out our Christian life as a witness, just like the first church did. We are called to that. And when we come together as one body, let's pray for the filling of the Spirit too so that we can become an empowered church. It starts personally, folks, but it overflows corporately. And why do we want to do this? Because we want to do extraordinary things for the cause of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you know the master plan. We don't. Father, we depend on your word to teach and instruct us in these things. Why you know all, Father, we depend on your word as our instruction, as our understanding, as our knowledge and wisdom. So, Father, we're praying today for your word to speak to us. This is a beautiful place, Father, not the building, but the hearts here of these people. Father, we want to be your witness in Reedsville, in Rockingham County, in North Carolina, and with the missions that we're affiliated with, the rest of the earth, Father. We want to be your witness, but we know that it's not about us. It's not just the ingredients. We can be right in every way, but without the power and influence of your spirit, we cannot fully meet what you intended us to be. And that's what we're praying for today, Lord. We're starting personally. We're asking you just to change hearts. Father, we're asking you to renew minds and renew hearts under your influence. You fill us, Father. Remove the things that have been filling us up and you fill us. We wanna be your witness. And then, Father, we can come together corporately in unity, obedient to your word in unity, prayerful, worshipful, Father, praising and honoring our God. When we can come together like that under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit, this church will be able to do amazing, amazing things for the cause of Christ. That's what we're praying for, for Grace Fellowship. Father, start with us individually and work on us corporately, Father. That's what we're asking. We wanna be a witness to you. We wanna be a witness for the cause of Christ. Father, we pray for your spirit to fill us. Just fill us, Lord. We thank you for the blessing of the Spirit, first and foremost, but now we're asking you to fill us with your Spirit so that we can be what you intended us to be. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this word, Lord. Just let it reach down, Father, into the depths of our heart and begin to change us. Lord, change us from the inside out so that the things that come out, the works we see, are evident of the Spirit working in our very lives and in our body of believers, this church. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.